It's a great honor and humility. I accept this nomination. I've never meant it more at stake in this election is the survival of our nation. This is our moment to make hope and history rhyme. My fellow Americans, the best is yet to come. This is 2020 Vision Ohio. The people of this country want and demand law and order, and you're afraid to even say it. He's just, he's oh, the racist. And if it's me, in fact, fine. If it's, if it's not me, I'll support the outcome. But if I see tens of thousands of ballots being manipulated, I can't go along with that. Moderator Chris Wallace might have wished he had a whip and a chair instead of just a pen, paper, and a microphone during the uh, September 29th presidential debate between President Donald Trump and Democratic challenger Joe Biden. Hi, I'm Clark Donnelly, and I'm glad you were uh, able to find us once again and join us for 2020 Vision Ohio, the podcast that brings you truth for the post-truth era. We're going to look back at that debate and ahead at the final weeks of the presidential campaign. A lot happened uh, during that week of the debate. Of course, the president diagnosed with COVID-19 toward the end of the week. What does that mean? Well, we're going to find out uh, on uh, this uh, episode by talking to a Republican strategist and also president of Ohio Right to Life, Mike Ganadakis. Mike, good morning. It's great. Mike, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Clark. Uh, and let's start real quick with that uh, kind of the next uh, phase of the debate, uh, or I'm sorry, the next phase of the campaign uh, before this next debate. Um, considering that the president on Friday let us all know that he had tested positive for COVID-19, what does that do to his ability to campaign in states like Ohio between now and the time he can, you know, kind of come out of quarantine? Well, first of all, I hope all Americans can come together and pray for our president and first lady for their speedy recovery um, and put politics aside. Uh, but now to answer your question directly, uh, the president had multiple events already scheduled for today, fr- well, for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that he's canceled. He had uh, two events in Wisconsin that have been canceled, some other uh, political and work-related events that have been put on hold. Um, so you're seeing him slow down, obviously stay in quarantine, as he said in his tweet, and him and his wife both to do the right thing to make sure that they recover and, and obviously don't spread COVID-19 to anyone on staff or in the White House. Uh, but here's the good news. Um, the next debate is not scheduled until October 15th. So he was diagnosed the first, and the, the CDC says you should, you should quarantine between 7 and 10 days until you can get two negative tests in a 24-hour period. So. Let's hope and pray that between now and the 15th, the president um, comes back with two negative tests and hope he's just fine, ready to go for the second debate. Now, if he doesn't, he still has it, they're going to have to cancel it. He'll have to continue to cancel his uh, live appearances. Does he do things remotely, use Zoom, FaceTime, whatever? I don't know. Is that, you know our, our president is 74 years old, but by all accounts, he's healthy. And I don't know if he, I don't believe he's a diabetic or have underlying health conditions. So um, according to the CDC and other health ex- experts, he and his wife should both recover from this, Lord willing. Um, but there's definitely an immediate pause on all campaign activities. In the meantime, he's got the Rose Garden and the Oval Office as backdrops, which aren't too bad. Um, and then if he does uh, emerge again on the 15th, uh, Ohio uh, appears to be, you know, according to Democratic Chairman Dave Pepper, according to some polls, uh, Quinnipiac, uh, showing uh, Ohio as a toss-up, uh, we're a battleground again. Uh, does the president need to uh, pay attention to the state, make sure that, you know, that 8% margin by which he won in 2016 remains more or less intact going into 2020? 
Great question, Clark. And the answer is absolutely yes. I can't, no, no Republican uh, candidate or president can take Ohio for granted because as we know, no Republican can win the White House uh, or retain the White House without winning Ohio. And that's evidenced by what you've seen in the past three weeks. He was in Ohio twice last week, uh, in Dayton and Toledo. Vice President was in that week. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. was in the Dayton area last week. Eric Trump is going to be in the greater Cleveland area next week. So Ohio is still a very important state to the president of the United States and, and his, uh, campaign team, and you're going to see them continue to do events, um, all different shapes and sizes leading up to Election Day to ensure that the Electoral College votes go to him. Ohio, um, you know, again, polling is polling. You know, it's a snapshot in time. Um, the polls were all over the map in 2016, as you know and as I know. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the president can't take Ohio for granted, and evidence he's not doing that. So it's a good thing that he's doing uh, as expected, he nominated uh, Amy Coney Barrett to fill the seat of the on the Supreme Court left vacant by the uh, death of Ruth Gator Ginsburg. So um, let me ask you about uh, that. First of all, as the president of Ohio Right to Life, I assume that you are in favor of Judge Barrett's nomination. She has outspoken on her views on uh, abortion and uh, the right to life and the right to cho- choose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're ecstatic at Ohio Right to Life and all the pro-life men and women, uh, not just in Ohio, but across the nation. This is the moment we've waited for. We went to the polls and we voted for President Trump because he promised us, if elected, he would only appoint pro-life judges and justices. And he's kept his word. Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, pro-life have voted on our side. And Amy Coney Barrett, as we know, would be the sixth, uh, would be the vote that we need to overturn Roe. So uh, when she gets appointed, uh, uh, confirmed by the Senate, that is, she will be, we will have a conservative court. It'll be a 6-3 court. And even if we lose Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, on a on a pro-life vote, we would still have enough to uh, impact uh, the life issue. This is what, this is our moment. This is what we've waited for. And it's energized the base. The president is very smart in doing this. But let's not, this wasn't a political decision as much as it was a, a credential decision. Amy Coney Barrett is a professional, well-qualified judge, uh, graduated top of her class, Notre Dame Law School, a former professor at Notre Dame, uh, highly qualified. Um, when she when she was um, confirmed for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, it was a bipartisan vote. Both Democrats in the Senate and Republicans said, yes, she's highly qualified. So um, the left and Democrats uh, revered uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and, and I appreciate all the work and the sacrifice she made for our nation. Didn't agree with all of her opinions, but uh, we were blessed to have her. But Amy Coney Barrett um, is, is, is absolutely well qualified, and she's going to make a great justice on the court, and it's fired up the base. With all the discussion about whether a, a, a Supreme Court justice should be nominated and confirmed during an election year, uh, I wonder if the president wasn't, pardon the pun, playing his trump card a little early rather than holding out the promise of nominating Judge Barrett until after the election. He kind of, as you say, kept that promise or uh, you know, proved that credential at a time, you know, maybe when he didn't need it that well. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a compelling argument, Clark, and I, and I can see both sides of the argument. Some say he should have waited and say, and if I'm reelected, you get Amy Coney Barrett. And some say, no, you need to do it now because you're soft, according to the polls, with some Catholics and some evangelicals that have uh, grown a little weary of some of the things you've said or some of the tweets you've done. But I kind of fall in the other camp. And again, no one's right. We have difference of opinion here. But um, by nominating her now, it makes Catholics, it makes evangelicals, people of faith that might, might have voted for him in 16. It's a little wary now to say, wait a minute, he kept his promise. Wait a minute, we're talking about the pro-life issue. We're talking about family values here. And the Supreme Court justice isn't uh, 
doesn't sit on the bench for four or eight years. Uh, they're there for a lifetime. So I, I think, in my opinion, um, at least as it looked, as I see in Ohio and talking with people of faith in the Catholic community, this has really helped him uh, re-energize some, some maybe softer support that he's having in 2020. Something that I, I you made clear uh, during the process uh, on a social media account that I, I was was intrigued by, uh, and it's worth reminding folks that uh, overturning Roe versus Wade does not automatically mean that abortion is illegal across the nation. It returns that power to the states. Um, now I have heard people refer to things like called trigger laws that state legislatures will pass a legislation now that simply says in the event that that is overturned automatically uh, abortion is outlawed in this state and and ohio might be one of them do you would you be in favor of such a trigger law if it were introduced in the general assembly Yes, absolutely, and it's something we hope to do here in Ohio to have that type of legislation on the books because the way, and again, as president of, a right to, of Ohio Right to Life, this is our, our mission and it's our charge. Um, there's no guarantee that uh, we're going to have a pro-life governor for the foreseeable future, and, and, I, and I hope Mike DeWine gets reelected, but there's no guarantee. So while I have a veto-proof majority in the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate and I have a pro-life governor, getting that so-called trigger law on the books now is imperative because um, the case, uh, a pro-life case won't come to the United States Supreme Court for probably another year, year and a half, <clears throat> maybe two, maybe longer. Wheels of justice grind slowly in the federal judiciary. So we, if we get this law on the books now, it'll prepare us for that time in the future when that case is decided. So um, it's important to us. And, and, and of course, the, the other side, the pro-choice side, and, uh, can, uh, can advocate for what they believe in to block that, or they can do a constitutional amendment, uh, get the signatures and move forward. So... Um, from our perspective, we've, we've uh, elected, a, uh, the people of Ohio have elected a, a veto-proof majority of pro-life men and women, and we have a pro-life governor, so now is our time, as I said earlier, now is our moment to get this on the books. Uh, Mike Gonadakis is president of Ohio Right to Life. Uh, he was a uh, delegate, uh, Trump delegate to the Ohio or to the uh, Republican National Convention. He's a, a strategist for the GOP. Uh, so now we've got uh, a few weeks left before Election Day. Uh, Mike, uh, how important is it for both candidates? And and this plays a little bit into the president's, you know, ambival- ambivalence about mail-in voting. It's like, well, I do it, but you shouldn't. Isn't it important for both sides to get out the vote in this particular election because so many minds have already been made up? You know, Clark, I don't believe, and this goes to your point because it's a very good point, I don't believe that there's undecided voters in 2016. I can't imagine there's a person saying, well, should I vote for Biden or Trump? I believe what we have is unmotivated voters. In 2016, there was a lot of undecided. In 2020, it's unmotivated, whether it's because they saw the debate and didn't like the outcome of it, or they're just sick of politics, or they just don't want to vote. So the key for both candidates, President Trump and, and, and Vice President Biden, is to say is to find a way to find that trigger point to make sure that their base is motivated. Because I think this is a base election at the end of the day. There's a lot of people that are going to tune out, in my opinion. And uh, can Trump get his base to go vote? And I think he's going to be able to with Comey Barrett, as we just uh, talked about, and other things he's done uh, to motivate the base. And, and just the thing with, and again, I, and again, I, I'm a proud Republican. The problem that Joe Biden has motivating the Bernie Sanders AOC base. As he just said on Tuesday night, I'm not a socialist, I don't support the Green Deal, you know, I'm my own man, he's trying to appeal to the middle. But what Joe Biden needs to realize is, if he doesn't have that left, leftist base coming out and vote for him, uh, he, can't get, he can't win. Same thing happened to Hillary. The, the base wanted Bernie Sanders. Hillary was nominated, and the base didn't show up for her. So how does Joe Biden um, appease the left base, um, the, the Bernie Sanders crowd, um, the Green New Deal crowd, but also keep the middle? 
you know, because you know, when you run for president, you got to come to the middle. In the primary, you got to go hard left or hard right to win the nomination. And then when you run in the general, you got to get to the middle. But, but Joe, Joe Biden's walking a tightrope right now. And, and uh, I don't see a scenario, and he didn't do it Tuesday night because he rejected, um, you know, he rejected socialism. He rejected the green, new Green Deal. He rejected all that. How does he get those people to come vote for him? Well, I got to ask you the reverse of that, and that is, how does he get those uh, those centrists off of the couch and out to the polling places? Because, you know, and they hear him say things like that, they may be, you know, a little concerned, uh, or they might even go vote for his opponent. I realize ninety seven percent of Ohioans, I think, said they've already made up their minds and aren't going to change it between now and election day. Uh, but as you said, the uh, you know the the battle here is firing up those folks who already like you to get out or mail in those ballots. Yeah, and again, that, that's the art of, of persuasion and the art of politics. And, um, you know, Clark, one thing I know, and I'm no expert here, but um, you actually have, if, in, to be the incumbent president, it's hard. It's not impossible. Uh, Clinton beat uh, George Bush Sr., uh, but it's very hard for an incumbent president to lose. And without going out and campaigning, holding events, talking to the grassroots, going door to door, which Joe Biden is not doing any of it. That David Pepper was on TV last week saying, we're not doing door to door in Ohio. But Donald Trump is. He still has a war full of people going door to door in Ohio. Social distance. They're not walking into people's houses, but they're leaving literature. How do you beat an incumbent president if you're not doing grassroots retail politics? And the postmortem after 2016, they said, how did Hillary lose Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio? All of the pundits, both Democrat and Republican, they said, they went on national TV and said, she took Wisconsin for granted. She never came to Ohio. She never visited. She never did retail politics. Fast forward to 2020, Joe Biden, he was in Ohio because there was a debate, and he took a train out of Ohio to, to Pennsylvania this past week. But other than that, he's not in Wisconsin. He's not in these states doing retail politics. Midwest voters still like that personal touch and feel that Joe Biden's not giving them. Uh, uh, two million absentee ballot requests uh, sent out by to September 18th, uh, Mike, uh, indicating there are going to be a lot of mail-in ballots, a lot of absentees dropped off at the last minute. And basically, a lot of us are just expecting we won't know the outcome of the election on November 3rd. It's going to take several days to get those counted. You think that's a fair, fair guess that this election is going to go into overtime? Uh, we're in unprecedented times, Clark, and, uh, you know, some states are doing full mail ballot, which is different than absence, requesting an absentee. Um, so I think you're spot on right. We're probably not going to know on election night who the ultimate winner is. And the question to ask ourselves is how long after election day do we have to wait to find out with all the lawsuits that are going to be filed and, you know, and the postal system issues that we have. And it's unfortunate because we live in the greatest country and we lived in the greatest country when Barack Obama was president. And we live in the greatest country when Donald Trump is president because we're Americans. And the one thing we have to do as Americans is demand that the out there's no there's no um, you know, hokey pokey. There's no um, uh, fraud. And we just have a fair election. And the winner is the winner and the loser is the loser. But we, in order to maintain our society and our way of life, we have to have free and fair yeah, elections. And I just hope and pray that, you know, I, obviously I'm for President Trump, but um, if it doesn't go our way, that it, it's a quick decision. And if it does go our way, it's a quick decision. And I'm hoping it's a um, it's not a close election is, is what I'm hoping for, because we need to maintain our continuity. Republican strategist, president of Ohio Right to Life, Mike Gonadakis, with a look ahead at what may await us during these final few weeks of the presidential campaign leading up to the November 3rd general election. 
We'd like you to join in our conversation. Email us at 2020vision at columbusradiogroup.com. You can uh, uh, talk about issues that you'd like to hear us discuss, ask some questions, uh, check some facts, uh, but also don't forget to rate and review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on the free Sunday 95 app and share 2020 Vision Ohio with all of your friends out there. Uh, Get them to listen in as uh, we uh, wind down the clock toward uh, what's going to be a very exciting uh, and a very consequential presidential election on November 3rd. We'll see you next time. I'm Clark Donnelly. Thanks for joining us. 